we take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings 19, as we begin to come to the close of our series on the book of Elijah, I believe two more sermons yet uh, within our series, but looking now then at that which he has been called to do, namely to go forth and to anoint two kings, which again we said last sermon he will not do, uh, that will fall to Elisha, and yet we hear even in that song that we sang, Elijah's mantle onto Elisha cast. And so what does this mean? What does it look like? What does it mean for today as we consider the call of the Lord upon us, even in that last verse of the song, to be heralds, to go forth and proclaim the gospel good news of Christ. So let's hear these words, just 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. That'll be our text this evening. And so let's still our hearts, paying special attention to the reading of God's word, because it is that, the very inspired, infallible word of Almighty God. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he, Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you bring us again to your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the ways in which working through your word in sequence allows us to to remember all that has come before and to be thankful for it and to see with anticipation, Lord, the wonder of, of a calling of another, the calling of Elisha. And so, Lord, we pray that as we consider these words, as we consider that which is brought before Elisha, that which is brought before all of us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit would have his way with us and that your name would be praised. Lord, hear us, bless the word that is spoken, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, as we get older, even as a man who now finds himself within the ministers, even in this class, is somewhat middle-aged, we, we want to know that the important work that we've given ourselves to, perhaps that we've given our lives to, or significant periods of our life to, will be carried on well by those that follow us. Be that the next generation or the next man up or the person on deck or however we list those people to be. Perhaps as you've neared retirement, you were able to select the person that would come after you. Perhaps you were a part of that training process, making sure that they were ready to, to make that seamless transition to do those things that you had done. And so when you find that right person, when you have that confidence within your labors, there's well, there's great blessing in it. You're thankful not only for the work that you've done, but you're thankful that it's been entrusted to those who will be faithful to it. For pastors, that's the joy that we experience when we see men examined and, and sustained in a ministry. That as we give ourselves to this, of which the first time I spoke to one of the men who is an emeritus minister in our churches of, of wanting to be a minister, he said, can you imagine doing anything else with your life? And I said, no. And he said, good, because if you could, you should do that. 
It was speaking to the significance of what this was, the, the nearness and dearness of the calling to one I continue to call brother. And so when we see those men, and we hear those answers, and we've seen that training, and, and here's that word that is proclaimed, Lord, thank you. Thank you for caring for your church. Thankful for continuing to raise up faithful men. But that's more than just about the men. That's more than, than just about our vocation or the callings that we have or the churches that we serve. That what is most important is that the proclamation of that word is preserved. That it continues to go forth. That it continues to go out unhindered. Knowing that the Lord, you will sustain your word. That as you have done so in us, so you will continue to do to another generation. And so in that way, it's the joy of professions of faith. It's the joys when our children take up the labors that the Lord has given them with gladness. And we know that that which he has done in us, he will do so for as long as his final judgment will tarry. It's a great assurance. It's a great encouragement to us. And I think that's a little bit of that which Elijah experiences after his conversation with the Lord. There at Horeb, having the Lord reveal himself to him once again. Of after all of that work and all of the struggle and running away and escaping for his life and questioning what God had done. God speaks to him his word again. He reminds him, it isn't in the signs. It isn't in all that power. It's by my spirit. It's by my word. But yet, as we saw, Elijah was spent. In a sense, we could say, at least in today's terms, he was probably burnt out. I've been very zealous for the Lord. I've given my life to this Lord. And yet nothing has changed. But nothing could have been farther from the truth. And so even in the midst of all of that journeying, and I I encourage you this week to, to read through that again, to see that progression where we get to this point. And now the Lord, having revealed himself to Elijah in a low and gentle whisper, to remind him of the power of the word, that which was working in him, and now would soon work in another. Look back at 1 Kings 19, verse 15. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way. Get out of here. Go back to the work that you've been called to. Return again to the midst of my people. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And at first, as we read this, given the example that I gave, maybe we maybe wonder, well, Lord, isn't there some kind of lead up, like some kind of happy like retirement party or, or some kind of move that way where we celebrate this achievement with a, with a plaque or something else. No, I'm going to raise one up after you. And after him, I'll raise another. And after him, I'll raise another. It's the wonder of our ministry, isn't it? It's the wonder of our lives, really. That for all of the importance we place upon ourselves, 
I remember as a young minister speaking with older ministers outside of our churches. And the man asked us as a group together, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want your ministry to say about you moving forward to, to generations after you? And I said at that point, I don't want anyone to remember me. <laughs> because we remember the really good ones and we remember the really bad ones. And while I would still say I wouldn't want to be remembered, it wouldn't be for that reason. That what would be remembered is the word of the Lord. That what would be remembered throughout ministry, in the same way for Elijah and later for Elisha, would be that word. And so what a blessing it is for us, not just as ministers, but as congregations, to recognize that as long as the Lord's judgment will tarry, he will be faithful to the sending of his word. Yes, Elijah, he will be prophet in your place because your time of service is nearly over. But obedience is still required of you. You need to go and do that which you have been commanded unto. And he could do so with assurance that the work of the Lord's continuing was not up to him, but that the Lord would continue to furnish word bearers. That is, until the word made flesh would come and make his dwelling among us one who continues to do his work in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. I want you to take comfort in this. Yahweh will always have a faithful witness. He will make sure of it, and we can be sure of it as well. And so in this text, we see that the Lord makes continued provision for the proclaiming of his word in the casting of a cloak. And so Elisha casts upon Elisha a cloak, a mantle, by way of that calling of the Lord. And so it is a cloak then of almighty authority, as we see in verse 19. It is a cloak of counted cost in verse 20. And then it is a cloak of sacrificial service, as we read in verse 21. The Lord makes continued provision for the proclaiming of his word in the casting of a cloak. And so as one invested with authority in the Lord, one who is the prophet of the Lord, he too must be faithful to the word. And so in receiving that word, he gets up and departs. So he departed, verse 9, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat. That Elisha goes forth renewed in fellowship. In that way, even though he's been told, I will raise up another, that is encouragement. I can be encouraged in the Lord and his will. And he, so he goes back on that journey, going to find Elisha. Going to find one whose name means God is salvation. That here is this people of which he laments. Lord, this people is messed up. They have violated your covenant. They dismiss your word. They kill your prophets. I'm the only one left. Nothing has changed. Elijah, God is salvation. Go forth in the strength of that declaration, even in the one that you will ordain. God is salvation. And where does Elijah find Elisha? He finds him in the fields. He finds a farmer, one willing to go and to do the work of cultivating, one ready to go out to the work of planting, one ready to reap an abundance of harvest in the Lord. Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. He goes and finds a worker, 
He goes to find one who is certainly recognized as being strong. He goes to one who is a part of a family of wealth. That many oxen to do that kind of work, already ready to go after a famine that had been that long and a time of zero rain, they are itching to get back into the fields. But most importantly, he is now one called, unbeknownst to him, by Almighty God into his service. And so the scene is set. And yet there is nothing celebratory about it. There's nothing in terms of this call that has any kind of of drama to it, any kind of buildup, any kind of lists of Elisha's qualifications. God, why would you call him? There's none of it. Elijah simply passed by him and cast his cloak on him. That's it. That's all we read. Elisha's call comes suddenly, yet one that is planned, as we know, by God himself. The cloak is cast so that Elisha would bow himself under a very different yoke than what he was used to. The yoke of ordination, as it were. A yoke of service and obedience. This life for you, you will leave because this is the life that I now have for you. And so he is clothed. He is clothed with the cloak, the mantle of Elijah. A cloak which serves in the first place as a symbol of office and authority. That's why we sing it in that song that we often only sing either in the installation of elders and deacons or at the ordination of pastors. Here is that symbol. Office. You are set apart to the office of prophet, of authority. That which comes out of your mouth is, as far as it depends on the word of God, a thus says the Lord. And the wonder of the fact that he finds himself then in a line of prophets. That it isn't just Elijah investing something into Elisha. But now what we ultimately find is that line of prophets all the way back to Moses. Where Moses in Numbers 11.29 says, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. That the Lord would put his spirit on them. And that's the bigger deal by way of this cloak, this mantle. Because it isn't just clothes. It isn't just something of, oh, I think Elijah used to wear that and now Elisha's wearing that. What ultimately must Elisha wear in order to fulfill his office? He must wear the spirit's. The cloak serves as a symbol in the narrative of Elisha's true clothing now in the Lord. It is the clothing of his spirit. And this is a way not new to speak about in terms of the spirit covering his own, even within the Old Testament. 1 Chronicles 12, 18, Then the spirit clothed Amasai, chief of the thirty, and said, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for God helps you. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. And the joy and wonder of this is that even in moving forward, as God calls us in Christ to the role of prophets, priests, and king, now as his prophets, we are clothed in the same, in the promise of Joel 2, and it shall come to pass afterward. 
that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Why? Why does this matter? Why is this three-verse narrative here? Because God will not be left without a witness of his word in this world. That's why the Spirit is poured out. The world will hear the truth of the authoritative scriptures, the truth of the empowered gospel of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And he is faithful to continuing to raise up prophets and then apostles and then pastors and teachers to be filled, to be clothed with that same Spirit, granted a derived authority, and called to boldly pronounce that word until the day of the return of the incarnate word. Until Jesus Christ comes again to gather his people to himself. And so as we consider that, as we consider that which the Spirit has been poured out on us about, I ask you tonight, is that pouring out visible? Is it recognized that you are one under authority, not just the man behind this pulpit, all of us. We are men and women under the authority of another, given one task to go and make disciples, to proclaim good news to the captives. Are we those people clothed in the Holy Spirit? Are we crying out to the Lord, clothe us in the same, that we would be faithful? That we would be recognized not for our wisdom, not for our might, but by that spirit that we wear. That spirit that we have been clothed in, that we drip in. Is that our heart? Is that our desire? That is his call upon us. That is the symbol, the seal of that inheritance that he has granted to us. And so it is a It is a word of authority, of an almighty authority that this man will now walk in, in the line of Moses and Elijah. But it is a cloak then of accounted cost in that in the second place. Because this is still weird. This is still strange. This man that perhaps is known, at least by appearance perhaps, but also by way of his work, now that the sun comes, passes by you and throws his shirt on you. And yet Elisha knows exactly what's happened. And there comes pause, and then there comes action. Verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. He knows what's going on. He has considered what that means. He's already following in that way after Elijah. But look again at what he says. Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And again, as we've referenced several times in that Sunday schooly way that we approach many of these texts, what do we come to? There's waffling Elisha. Why doesn't the man just follow the call of the Lord? Why does he have to question it? Why is he doubting it? Why does he need to go back? But is that what it says? 
Again, we rush to comparison even to the words of Christ in Luke 9, 61 and 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so we make that connection. We take our understanding of the Old Testament from the New. But again, is that what's going on here? You see, Elisha isn't looking to turn back. There would have been a number of other questions in terms of getting out of this. What is he understanding? For he recognizes what has been asked of him and what is being asked of him. You are in the Lord's service now and you are not coming back. You're not coming home again. This isn't your family again. Like it's the wonder in this day and age of churches where we look and say, oh, I'd really like to be called to the Lord's service, but I want it to be within an hour radius of my family. That isn't the gig. That isn't the thing. If it happens, the Lord has been gracious and kind, but that isn't the thing. That to our brothers who head off to Uganda, who head off to China, who head off to the other, this is the part of it. Elisha, you're not coming back. And he's not plowing anymore either. He already left the plow. But what is he saying? His actions make that commitment plain. And that's why Elijah simply says to him, go back for what have I done to you? Consider the cost, Elisha. Consider that calling. Go back, but don't forget what I have done and what I have cast on you. Go back, but don't forget what is required of you. Don't go back and turn your eyes away from that which you have been called to. As Dale Ralph Davis writes, quote, Elijah had to deal with the cost of his call in terms of affections, security, and familiarity. This is the family that I love, and I am being called to leave them. This is the security. I have wealth, and I have wealth in abundance, and I have to leave this all too. Familiarity, this is my life. This is my farm. This is what I've done. This is how I've lived. I'm not coming back. We are so quick to judge him. And yet if the Lord calls you, Christian, to leave this township, to leave the place that you've always been. Do we count the cost? Do we think about it? What is more important to me than following after God with all that I am and hope to be? It's a question we don't ask enough because we get so enamored with the way and the things and the familiarity of this world and the way we've always done things without stopping to say, Lord, is this all you have for me? Is this it? Is my earthly family and proximity to them more important, Lord? Is the financial security that I enjoy more important than the faithfulness you call me to? Is this lifestyle that I am familiar with more important than your call on me? Christian, what may be getting in the way of your faithfulness to God's call upon you to go and make disciples?
to have that conversation with your neighbor, to have that uncomfortable conversation with your coworker. What's getting in the way? For Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? We have to count the cost. We have to consider the call of the Lord, the totality of that call. And what does that counting look like? Lord, I may not come back. I may not have anything. I may have nothing familiar. But I will have you. Luke 14, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Elisha, you have the Holy Spirit. You have been given the word and the authority of God. You have everything you need. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Are we willing to renounce all that we have as that mantle is cast on us? Are we willing to heed no matter what? For we have counted the cost and find him worthy of all of it. That every bit and every fiber of my being, of all of the blessings that he has given to me, I would give it all for you. Is that our heart's intention? Is that the true desire of our hearts? Have we counted the cost? For Christian, the name of Christ has been placed on you. And the cloak of his spirit has been poured out on you. And so it's poured out upon you, a cloak then of sacrificial service in the the last place. And so verse 21, he returned from following him. He goes back. He still has consideration to make. Elisha knew what he had been called to. He makes sure that he would not forget it. And how does he show it? You see, it's always great to to sit in a room and talk big things and grand ideals, right? I would love to do that. We should really do that. We should go and do... What are you going to do about it? Don't talk about it. Do it. And so he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh, which really here, a better translation maybe on this Mother's Day is, and they ate steaks. But he cooked their flesh with the yolks of oxen. That in our parlance today, he burns the tractor and the implements and eats all the cows. He's not going back. He's not going to return again. This life has nothing else for him in this way. I have sacrificed it all. And he does so as an act of worship and service. I am not my own. I belong to the Lord and his service. 
And so now Elisha finds himself really in the line of kings, but also of priests. 1 Samuel 6.14, the cart came. So the cart after the Philistines had taken the ark and it returns again. It came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. 2 Samuel 24, then Aruna says to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Elisha recognizes his call. He has counted the cost. He has given everything. He does so as an act of full separation from that prior life. I have burned before you, Father, all that I have known. Then in this anniversary of a church fire, weirdly in God's providence, all of it is gone. Every bit of it, Father. There is no turning back. And I ask you, Christian, is that not his call on our life? You will give it all for me. You will sacrifice all of it for me. Dillard writes in his commentary the following, quote, The cost of following God is the same in the Old and New Testaments, end quote. And that's the wonder of what is spoken to you tonight. It says in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come up after me cannot be my disciple. Think about the awesome an awful nature of that call. It is the call of Christ upon you, Christian. It is his call of salvation to those who do not believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But for those of you who have been saved, this is his call. Have you considered it? Have you considered it often, every day? That this life in every way is to be one of bearing that cross and following Christ. Because we want the blessing. We want that salvation. I want to know that at the end of life, I will not be judged. We want Christ as Savior. But then what do we do? We dismiss his call to obedience and holiness and service because we do not want a Lord. That is the call upon Elisha. I am your salvation, but I am also your Lord. He must be both Savior and Lord in your life. That must be the commitment that is communicated in every action and word of your life. Or if it's easier for you in this way, as DeVries writes, quote, if you're not ready for that kind of commitment, you'd better stay home with the oxen, end quote. But Elisha was ready. 
He was ready for the sacrifice. He was ready for the service. And so he begins how? By serving the people in the abundance of that sacrifice. And he gave it to the people and they ate. Elisha takes that which is his and he sacrifices all of it at great cost and turns it into a fellowship offering. That before he takes up that call, it is celebrated with his people. The people eat steaks together in thanksgiving. For Elisha serves the people in thankfulness for a call received. Already taking the role of servant. And it's not one that comes naturally to us. Already the spirit has been poured out on the brother. For as Jesus said in Mark 10, and Jesus called them to him and said to him, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be the great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And after the wonder of that celebration... Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Literally, he went and ministered to him. He served him. He's called to a life of service. That's Yahweh's call. And as we read, even in the early parts of the Elisha narrative, it's not much of a ministry. At least not initially. Not in comparison to that of Elijah at this point. He's simply going to pour hands, a water over the hands of the prophet. That, that's it. But it is what God would have him to be, and it's what God would have him to do. There is no small calling in God's kingdom. There is no small servant. There is no small service. Whatever is that which the Lord has robed you in his spirit and called you to consider, that is what he would have for you. Davis again writes, what is wrong with a no-frills ministry somewhere in the backwater? If Yahweh calls us to pour water on the hands of Elijah and we do so, are we not doing his will? Does anything else matter? see, brothers and sisters, we're called to serve sacrificially in thanks and gratitude for and with the sacrifice of something more than oxen and implements. We serve sacrificially because Jesus Christ sacrificially served us first. We saw it again this morning. That the Father in his electing love held nothing back, not, only, not even his one and only begotten Son, that Jesus Christ holds nothing back in his love, not even the, the burden of all of our sin upon the cross, the poured out wrath of God upon him, that we would be forgiven. And if that is what he has given for you, if that is what he has sacrificed for you, serve him. Serve him in everything. Submit to a yoke that is easy and a burden with light. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come to his presence with singing. Rejoice at the Lord. He is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. Serve him, worship him, and do so knowing what he has borne and sacrificed for you. In the encouragement of Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the Lord continues to call servants to himself. He will call them to a life ordained and consecrated and set apart to him. He will clothe them with his spirit to the end that they would know his word and follow his word and serve his word. And so call out to him, Lord, clothe me. Cast your mantle more fully, more plainly upon me. Call out to him that he would pour out that spirit and clothe you in abundance. Call out to him, Father, help me to consider that which you are calling me to at great cost, even setting aside all things that I would follow you and serve you. And yet, Christian, is there any greater call than service of the Almighty God and a faithful Savior? And that which the Lord calls you to sacrifice, know that he held nothing back. And that in him you have all things. So people of God, give thanks for those that the Lord raises up to service. Give thanks for those who come behind you in the work that you do and will take it over. Give thanks to the Lord when young men are ordained to the ministry even in their own weakness and naiveness. Give thanks to the Lord for the ways that he continues to provide for his word and rejoice that he will do so until Jesus Christ comes again. So be given to him, to that word and to that praise, for you can do so by his Holy Spirit in whom you are clothed. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the wonder and power of your word, that calling and ordination, not just of Elisha, for which we give thanks, but Father, that you call sinners not only to repentance, but to service. That you cleanse us from our sins, that you fill us with your spirit, and that you place us on mission together to go and make disciples, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to do so until the return of our Savior. And so, Father, may we spend and be spent in that endeavor. May we continue to count the cost of that following and know that you are worthy. That is the one who goes to sell everything that they have to buy a field for the pearl that is in it. Father, may we be found faithful but more importantly, in love with you and in thanks for that which you are working in us by your word and Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for that blessed ordination. We thank you for your call upon us, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.